God, who through the preaching of the blessed Apostle St. Paul has caused the light of the gospel to shine throughout the world, grant we beseech thee that we, having his wonderful conversion and remembrance, may show forth our thankfulness unto thee for the same by following the holy doctrine which he taught. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, Blessed Conversion of St. Paul Day. These are one of the major, this is one of the major feasts in the church year, although we, we very rarely celebrate it because it's one of these ones that we're always given the date, January 25th. But uh, unless it falls on a Sunday, we're not going to do anything really to, uh, to commemorate it, which is weird. It, it, it's weird because it's actually one of the uh, uh, longest running uh, festivals or feasts outside of Easter and Christmas and stuff within the church calendar. I believe it goes back to the Galician calendar and back to Spain, uh, where it felt that it was important to celebrate the conversion of, of Paul in, in Acts chapter 9, where he's on his way to Damascus to get himself some Christians. And it ends up that Jesus shows up, knocks him on his butt, causes him to go blind, and then uh, tells him, oh, by the way, I've got some work for you to do, to send you out. And so it's important here that we have this, this collect, this prayer, for this day where we're asking God to help us remember that, in part because we see God's handiwork in coming and picking whoever he's going to pick to do the work that he asks them to do. Paul talks about this later on, how he says he's one untimely born. Who for some reason God deigned to, to appear to him and to choose him and he was the greatest of all sinners because he was persecuting the church, had the most blood on his hands of any uh, uh, person that possibly could against the church. To think about that, that he was a pastor, he was an evangelist, he was going around sharing the good news and starting churches and he was the one that God picked. And the church eventually said, okay, even though he was the one who would be known for imprisoning and probably uh, leading to the execution of many brothers and sisters in the faith. And yet God picks him. And so we're told in this prayer, uh, which is out of a, the Book of Common Prayer, that uh, his preaching has caused the light of the gospel to shine throughout the world, which is true, right? The overwhelming majority of the books in the New Testament are, are written by Paul. Grant, we beseech thee, we beg thee, that we, having his wonderful conversion and remembrance, remembering the work that God has done, may show forth our thankfulness unto thee, unto God, for the same, for the fact that he has done this thing by following the holy doctrine which he taught through Jesus Christ our Lord. God was to go to such extent an extent to choose Paul, one that should not have been chosen, Shouldn't we not celebrate that and look at that? So we're going to take a look at those readings today. Uh, a little quickly, not, not digging too much into them, but to have the chance to have those readings be in front of us today. So let us get to it. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, 
son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the opening chapter of the book of Jeremiah, where we're told of Jeremiah's time as a prophet, that he was actually a priest, uh, which is an odd thing because more often than not, the prophets that, that God chose uh, were not priests. They were, they were other people, like Amos was a, a shepherd, uh, for instance. Um, but here we, we find out that, that Jeremiah is a priest. And he's actually a priest, uh, from what I can remember, in the line of a previous high priest uh, during the reign of David and Solomon, who was banished to uh, Anathoth uh, for uh, not siding with Solomon as king. And, uh, and so it's an interesting choice of God to pick this one from a family of priests who was not going to be exactly the number one choice. But then he says, I knew you before you were born. I chose you. That's God's electing work. That's how God works. And, and we don't like election. We don't like the idea that God can pick us. God can call us to do something that maybe we don't choose because especially as Americans, uh, first world people, people who love freedom and choice, we don't like the idea that we are going to be told and or asked to do something that we don't want to do. And we don't like the idea that we are called into something that we don't have the choice in the matter. Later on, we find out that, that Jeremiah gets upset at God. And he says, you lied to me. You deceived me. I, I, I've said, I do not want to preach your word anymore, but there's something deep inside of me that makes me do it. He, he doesn't like the notion that he's been called out to do this, and yet God has chosen him. He, he's picked him to be this voice, this voice that's going to be telling the people repent or perish. This voice that's going to be telling the people Babylon is coming. And then when Babylon does come, he says to them, surrender, give yourselves up, allow this to come and you will live. And nobody listens. Instead, they fight, they flee, they get killed, they get exiled. And yet Jeremiah uh, gets given some nice treatment later. But this fits with Paul's conversion, right? It fits because we have Paul being chosen at a time of uncertainty to be the voice of God, to preach the promises of God to the nations, promises that, that everyone assumed were just for Abraham, for just for a certain people. And yet here we have Jeremiah being told, you are, uh, uh, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms, not just Judah or Israel, to uproot and tear down, to bring them to nothing, to destroy and overthrow, to cause them to be nothing, but then to build and to plant. In other words, to bring law and gospel, to tear us down because our sins are so great, 
and then to build us up because of the promises of God, which we do get in, in, in Jeremiah. For instance, Jeremiah 29, where he's preaching to the exiles, and he says, build a home there. You're going to be there for a long time, but God is going to be with you, and we'll bring you back. And that's what we have to hold on to in our trust and our faith, that God will choose us to do something that maybe we don't enjoy. And yet it is God working in us to do as he pleases. And we say thanks be to God for that. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Amen. This is Psalm 67. We actually had this for our psalm this last Sunday uh, at... at uh, at youth group, we try to, as part of our worship, we have a psalm every night that we that we say together, uh, and this was this one, and it actually fits with Paul's conversion story in the sense that he's one sent to the nations to cause them to praise God, right? And, and so we have here that we, we're calling on God that God may be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine on us, so that that God's ways might be known upon the earth for all nations. And that's the work of Paul, and that's the work of us, being called out, especially even in our sin, to go forth and, and proclaim the goodness of the Lord, to go forth and to sing of him a new song in amongst all the peoples, that they may know what God has done, that God has chosen those untimely born. He's chosen those who, who are, are the least of these to do the most for his kingdom. He does that with Paul that he's going to bring forth the harvest. God is going to bring forth the harvest and he's going to choose whatever workers he's going to choose. And so here we, we rejoice in what it is that, that God does through Paul for us, uh, that, that it's interesting that you read Reformation history, you read church history, and the majority of the reformers uh, and, and people like Charles Wesley and others, all of them had their faith transformed, came to true living faith, came to a true understanding of what God has done in Jesus Christ through the reading of Paul's letter to the Romans. That it is through that letter, and through the letter of the Galatians, for instance, those two letters, that uh, there has been major transformation within the church for years, forever. And so now we, uh, we lift up Paul as an example, as, as we are to do this day on his conversion, uh, as, as one who has made it so that, verse 5 of Psalm 67, that the peoples may praise you, O God, may all the peoples praise you. Why? Because God is bringing forth the harvest of souls, the harvest of faith, that he might fill his feast with all those that trust in him for their life and their salvation. And we say thanks be to God for that as well. Our epistle lesson, of course, comes from uh, Acts 9 and the conversion of St. Paul. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the one who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a familiar story to most of us, I think. And to those of you who it's not, this is the actual account of his conversion, his work. Remembering that I've already shared it, that, that he was a persecutor. And Ananias even says that, right? Well, well Lord, I know this man. He, he's not a good guy. Why are you sending me to him? He's going to have me killed. Well, and it is God who intercedes then, right? Because Saul is on his way to Damascus, who he later is called Paul. I, I believe it's a Hebrew name and then a Greek name. And he chooses the Greek name because he's going amongst the Greeks. But uh, he's on his way to Damascus to arrest more people, uh, people of the way. Um, and Jesus comes and does the Jesus thing. He interrupts the life of Saul to grab Saul and say, no, you are mine. You're going to do something else. And I love how he says, why are you persecuting me? Right? Uh, because we're the body of Christ. That's why. The church is the body of Christ. And so when persecution comes to the body of Christ, in any shape or form, persecution comes to the church in China. It does. Persecution comes to the church in Syria. It does. That should be something that hurts us here in America, in Ridgecrest, in California. Uh, it, it should cause us pain and grief because we are joined together in Christ's body. And so we should be hurting because this has happened to our beloved brothers and sisters. So when Jesus comes to him and says, why are you persecuting me? He's speaking of the church, his body. And then he says, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. I'd be a little worried if God came and said that to me, because that's how God works. And usually that means he's up to something. Got to be worried a little bit. 
And so he's speechless and he discovers that he's blind and been blinded by that light and gets taken into the city by hand and he doesn't eat or drink, he, he fasts. And then God picks Ananias and Ananias uh, is, is sent to, to him uh, to heal his, his blindness. But in between there, what we get is the commission spoken to Ananias to speak to Paul. Go, this man is my chosen instrument. Election, <laughs> the calling of God that God chooses in his gifts are irrevocable. To proclaim, to be a preacher of my name to the nations, to the Gentiles, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. Notice that the people of Israel are last on the list. Saul, or Paul, gets chosen to go and be the people and be the one who preaches to the people of the nations, to the Gentiles, to us. I will show him, and this is the hardest part, I will show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. What a great calling, right? You're going to be a preacher, and you're going to do some amazing things. You get to go before kings. Isn't that awesome? Eventually before Caesar, maybe. Isn't that cool? And oh, by the way, you're going to suffer while you do it. That would not be the greatest thing, would it? I wonder if in the church, uh, that should be what happens at our ordination services, that that should be part of our vows as pastors. And those of you who, who feel led and called in the church to do ministry work, whatever it might be, whether it be as an evangelist or a teacher uh, or, or serving on council or whatnot, and we go, oh, by the way, you're going to suffer for the name of Christ that it's going to be hard, that it's going to be difficult, that it's going to be terrifying sometimes, that you're going to feel like you have every ball in the world up in the air and you can't catch or juggle any of them. And yet that's the guarantee of Christ, that you will suffer, that it's going to be hard, that it's not going to be fun, and yet you're sent by my name. That is the work of Christ in us. That's the call of God upon us. That's what happens here with Saul. And so Ananias shows up and says to him, Jesus appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. Yep. And he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And his eyes get opened and he gets baptized and he eats something and then goes right about doing his work. Goes into the synagogue and proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. Then it finishes with Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. That should be the goal of preaching to prove that Christ is who he says he is. And so this is what we celebrate today. This is what we love today. We, we take this conversion story and we take it as our own. And it's actually fitting that it happens during the Epiphany season. One of the most important seasons in the church year that a that, uh, few decades ago, it just got converted into ordinary time. But here it should be its season unto itself because Christ appears. And in Christ's appearing, something happens. God's work happens. Transformation happens for us. And that's what we have. We have an epiphany happening, a Christophany happening, in which Christ appears to, to Saul, later named Paul, to transform him into the preacher that we need to come and persuade us that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he's also our Savior, the Messiah, the one who has been chosen, the chosen one, the anointed one, who's, who's called upon as the Savior of us, of our sins, of our fears, of our doubts from death. 
Peter answered Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renew of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Finally, we get to our Gospel. It's very brief, and it's very succinct. Peter's wondering, well, what about us? The, 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 the fear of that the, the ones that we assume to be blessed, the rich. This, this follows after the uh, um, rich young ruler shows up and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the assumption being that rich people were blessed by God. They should be blessed, and so they should inherit the kingdom with no trouble whatsoever. And here Jesus says, you know what? It's going to be okay, because Peter's freaked out. He's concerned, well, we've left everything. We have nothing. How do we know we're blessed? And Jesus says, you are. Not only will you you rule with me, he says, on 12 thrones, drudging the 12 tribes of Israel, being, being placed as examples to say, hey, you should have known. But then also a word of gospel to you and me. That when we feel as though we've left family, home, things we've loved in service of the king, in service of Christ, we, we know that we are blessed by God and that we are covered in his mercy. That's actually what we have to hold on to. This is one of those passages that gave me so much uh, joy when I was living and serving in Minnesota. Now I'm back in California, closer to my dad and my family and everybody. Um, but to know that God was with me and he promised that there was a blessing even on the times when I felt completely alone and unblessed because I missed my family. There it is that God says, no, you, you'll receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That was always a joy and a blessing for me to know that even though I had left other things behind, even if I had never made it back to California, I still had my Jesus. And I still do. That, that, that is something that we hold on to, knowing that Christ's blessings are going to come to us. That's the blessing given to Paul as well. You're going to suffer in my name, but oh, you'll have the joy of the resurrection and eternal life. And so this is the gift that we're handled, handed by God. And then, and then lastly here, Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. He says that multiple times, doesn't he? Telling us that. Helping us to know that, number one, those of us who feel like we're last can have joy knowing that uh, we'll be first. But then also this word of warning to some of us to remind us that uh, if we think ourselves to be, to be first, to be number one in the kingdom, to be the most important, well, Jesus might come and knock us down a peg and help us to realize that we aren't number one, but he is. That's the work of Paul for us as he declares Christ and him crucified to us. It's the work of the church. That's the work of your local preacher. And I hope that's the work that's been done today. Let us pray. O oh God, who through the preaching of the blessed apostle St. Paul has caused the light of the gospel to shine throughout the world, grant we beseech thee that we, having this wonderful conversion and remembrance, may show forth our thankfulness unto thee for the same by following the holy doctrine which he taught through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Well, church, go in peace, serve the Lord, and we have our last uh, Sunday of Epiphany coming up, hoping to see you, and then it's Transfiguration. We'll be looking forward to that as well. Thank you.